Hey everybody, welcome to the Picky Bookworm Podcast. I am on the show today with Kenyon Gagne. I actually know how to pronounce his name. Um, you'll actually hear him teach me later on how to pronounce his last name. Um, I know if you've heard this the show at all uh, recently, you've heard me struggle over and over. Um, he is finally on the show. He is the author of a book that you have heard me mention many times, uh, The Goners Volume 1. It is the first in an epic trilogy that I talk about a lot. Um, he is, his character development is wonderful. Um, and he is so fun to talk about. Um, we get to talking about the classics and he disagrees with me on how boring they are. So you'll get to hear a little bit of our disagreement and a few rants on book to movie adaptations. Um, but it's all in good fun. So grab a cup of tea, grab a glass of wine, grab a bottle of soda like I did today and keep listening. Thanks guys. This episode is sponsored by Caroline Fleur. She wrote the book Destiny and Other Dilemmas. You can find it on Amazon in Kindle format and paperback format. Here is the blurb. Brooke Stern seemed to have the perfect life until she didn't. After an unexpected turn of events that shook her marriage of 15 years, she must navigate her new normal as a single independent woman. Juggling her son's food allergies, her demanding career, and growing interest in a mysterious man, she's determined to restart her life and find a clear path ahead. When she finally reclaims her courage, she is confronted with the harsh consequences of her choices. Any step forward is a potential risk as she tries to make the best decisions for herself and the future of her family. That is, if destiny doesn't step in and decide for her. Based on that, I think I need to own that book as well. Um, I will include a link to the Amazon as, so that you can purchase this book and support the author just as the author has chosen to support this podcast. Thank you, Caroline, and thank you, Chris. Uh, you can find her book in the show notes as well. Thank you both for supporting the Piggy Bookworm. Hey, everybody. I am here with Kenyon. I am going to let him pronounce his last name because if you've listened to any of my other episodes before, you've probably heard me struggle with his last name. He's heard me struggle with his last name as many times as I've tried. So I'm going to let him pronounce that for you. Um, he is the author of a book that I know many of you have heard of before, um, mainly probably from me talking about it. Uh, he is the author of the Goners Trilogy, and um, I have recommended part one many, many times to people. It is an excellent book with excellent character development. And so we will be talking about his book and we'll be talking about some other books that we recommend and, and all of that. So grab a cup of tea, do what I'm doing, and grab a bottle of soda or grab a bottle of wine and enjoy. Thanks guys. Okay. First. Ah, oh, nice. He's got the coffee tea. and the, and the <laughs> wine. That's awesome. That's great. Um, okay. So real quick, first things first, please pronounce your last name for me. All right. Gagne. Gagne. Okay. Yeah. I, I have it. been I have been struggling <laughs> with yeah, your last that's name. Right. We get we get everything from gains to gainy to 
See, and I'm all over the place. The first time I saw it, I would have done, I would have said gag me. But that's like really close to gag me. And I was like, well, you know what? We we grow up, we grew up uh, saying uh, gag me. Uh, Okay. But we got sick of people saying, uh, you know, uh, gag me, uh, gag me with a spoon. So yeah, my brother and I staged a revolution and said we're not saying gag me anymore. We're we're uh, going back to the more elegant Gagne. The the traditional. Okay, Gagne, right. got it. Now I can start pronouncing your last name correctly. This is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so how did you come up with the story for uh, my three favorite people? Three, okay. of, three of my favorite people, I should say. Okay. All right. There's, uh, there's such a specific answer to that question, and it's kind of elaborate, uh, that I wrote an, an essay on it and uh, put it on my website if anybody's interested. Okay. Which uh, uh, my, my website, I think, is uh, thegonersbykenyangagne.com. Uh, but I'll, I'll go ahead and give you the, the recap. Okay. Um, and, and we will get a link to that in the show notes okay. as well for that repetitive okay. But the idea uh, started for me way back in January of 1986. I was uh, I was a sophomore in high school, and I was uh, having lunch in the, the cafeteria at my high school, uh, and some kid came by, came by and said the, the the space shuttle blew up. We all thought he was joking and everything. You know, obviously, it turns out the uh, space shuttle Challenger did blow up. I think it's January 28, 1986, and uh, before that, as a young teen, like science fiction loving kid, uh, I, the rate of progress that NASA was making into space was so uh, fast and snowballing so much that I had no doubt that you know, at some point in my life I would get a, the chance to go to space. I thought we all would, you know, for my 50th birthday or you know, you know, 30th anniversary or, or we something. Were, we were supposed it, to have flying cars by last year, I think it was. Right, so, yeah. right according to Back <laughs> to the Future. But that's the way it seemed back in the in the early '80s, and the uh, the Challenger explosion uh, slowed everything down so much, and rightfully so, because they didn't want to put another you know uh, a ship on the on, uh, into space with human lives at risk until they figured out exactly what was going on. But it it uh, it was really striking how much it, it slowed down in the late '80s because of that, um, and so that was that was one factor that. Uh, one ingredient. Then in the early 90s, my high school, or the high school in my old town, Gosstown, New Hampshire, I, uh, by that point I'd already moved down here to, to South Carolina, uh, but I still you know, kept up with news from my town. And uh, I think it was five students over the course of like a year and a half at the same high school committed suicide. Um, and I remember just being really you know, struck by that. Uh, and then uh, a couple shortly after that, I was at work and there's this uh, old uh, super redneck meat cutter that I worked with. I've always worked in uh, in meat departments, but he was a, a really cool guy, uh, country as can be, but uh, super smart and, and wise. Uh, and we used to have interesting conversations. We'd have a lot of like what if conversations. And I was I was closing with him one night, and I and I said, what if uh, there was like a government program where people who were suicidal could be, you know, uh, could go out with a bang, like testing, you know, the, the, the new space shuttle or their, you know, space suits or, 
all these different things. And uh, we had a long conversation about it. And I knew if he liked it, uh, it was a good idea. Uh, and so that kind of sat in my mind. I hadn't really thought of it as the, the, uh, an idea for a book or anything yet. Um, and then uh, went on, got married, had my own daughters. Um, and when they were young, uh, my brother-in-law uh, had an incident where uh, a niece of his uh, committed suicide at a, like a super young age, something like 12. Oof. And it, uh, my daughters at the time, I think, were maybe eight and five. And it was so jarring to me because uh, they, they were happy-go-lucky kids at that time. And I'm like, what, you know, what can happen in the next uh, four years to, to change that so drastically that, that a kid would do that? Uh, so that was uh, another factor that really got me uh, thinking. Then, um, uh, and I, I was also telling the girls the whole time they were growing up uh, that you, know, you can do you can do whatever you want in life. You can be whatever you want to be if you work hard for it. Uh, I was trying to instill that internal locus of control where you know uh, the, the world doesn't force them onto a, a path that they don't want to go down. They they they're in charge of their lives. Right. At the same time, while I was working 40 hours a week, doing a job that you know, was not fulfilling to me at all. So I was like, I'm going to, you know, what can I do to, to practice what I preach uh, and really kind of put my best shot out there? And that's when I started thinking about uh, that storyline specifically about the government program. Uh, and, and I told my wife, I'm going I'm to write a book. And, uh, and that's and, uh, one factor in there, too. I'll say it was when I read The Hunger Games, and my book is not by any stretch derivative of The Hunger Games. No, it did no. not remind me of The Hunger Games at all. <laughs> but what struck me about The Hunger Games, uh, when I read it, I was so riveted right away, and I was so, I've never been more emotionally invested in like characters than I were in, in, in Katniss. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was like, it, it, was, it was a revelation to me even with all the books I've read, that you could make readers care that much about uh, characters. I'm like, I want to do that. Uh, so that's well, you definitely succeeded at least where this person is concerned. Okay. <laughs> Thank I you. I don't I don't typically like I will get connected with characters, but I don't typically go for books that are so character driven. Mm-hmm. You know, I I am more of an, an action, um, you know, the things are happening to the characters and the characters' reactions to that action right. is yeah. what gets me invested in them. And so to, to find a book like yours that is so character-driven that the character's development and the characters going through this experience is what got me invested. It's so it's completely opposite to what I normally will go for. And so you, you really have done a a very, very good job with your book. And I'm I'm always, I'm always so proud to recommend it to somebody, you know, especially if they like the character driven books, um, and you know, or they like the sci-fi or, you know, they just want something new, you know, because this, book it I mean it's new it's not really anything that it's not a trope that we found before it's not um 
you know, it's not taking a, a vampire story and turning it on its head. Um, right. And, you know, so it's, and I am one of those people that I love unique, you know, and I think that's probably one of the main things that drew me to the writing community and in the book community on Twitter, especially is the, you know, yeah, a lot of the, a lot of the tropes have already been written. There's, (laughs) there's very few, um, stories that have not been told, but what I love about the indie book community in particular and the self-published community is they weren't, you know, they're not writing the stories to, to market, um, like a publisher would, you know, a publisher would be like, well, this vampire stories, I'm not sure it'll sell. So you need to kind of change this. You know, they're not being told to change a whole lot about their story. And so we get a lot of those unique stories and a lot of those original thoughts. Um, I think the the more mainstream the the books are, yeah, the the more they kind of fit into a a limited categories of a a mold. Yeah, Yeah. a mold. And that's frustrating to me. You know, it's why I don't watch romantic comedies because they all seem to fit into a mold, you know. Right. And, you know, yeah, I, 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 I do tell people uh, about, about my book, I'm trying to, to pitch it to them, that uh, I, it, I hope you'll love it. Uh, you might not love it. Either way, it's, uh, it's not going to be, it's not going to remind you too much of something that you've uh, already read. No, it, it did not. It was definitely, I mean, it was very original in that there, there's nothing reminiscent of it. Like, you know. I wasn't reading it going, oh, this reminds me of that book. Oh, this reminds me of that book. There was nothing of that. It is just, it is truly original. And, you. you know, maybe that, maybe your trope will be something that kids will write about in 20, 30 years, yeah. you know. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I just, I think it was, it was a very well thought out and very well done book. And I just, I Thank enjoyed so it so much. Um so I will link to your website, to that essay that you wrote. Okay. Um, I will be sure to link to your book on Amazon, and I will link to my review as well so that people can read okay. that um, and read some more of my thoughts on this book. Um, so that... Um, completely lost my train of thought. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> I'm so sorry, you guys. I I was up really early this morning and I came home and took a nap and I'm still not quite awake. So my, my train of thought is not quite working how it's supposed to. So that's right. We'll, we'll we're, get it done. we're powering through as best as we right. can. Um, okay. So Let's move on to some of your favorite books and see okay. if we can't see if we can discuss and recommend some more books to our listeners. I made some I made some notes. So I didn't want to like forget any, and I've been uh, I've been thinking about this portion of our uh, our conversation for a while because I I, I hear you talk about uh, your favorite books with the you know, authors in your previous uh, podcast. I'm like. This, this, we're not going to have a lot of crossover, I don't think, but that's what conversation is for. That is what I conversation would, is for. 
Yeah, I, I've heard you say you don't uh, you don't care for classics. Uh. I I don't. I I find them in my brain. Somebody says this book is a classic, mm-hmm. and my brain translates that to okay, this book is boring. Yeah, I I, I understand that because when you're forced to read these books uh, when you're younger, and uh, the language is so outdated uh, that. Uh, by the time you you figure out what Shakespeare is uh, saying, you know the joke's not funny anymore. You know, <laughs> or Jane, Aust- yeah, or Jane Austen, or Emily Dickinson, or yeah. But I, I I happen to to love the classics, and I uh, hearing you say that uh, made me uh, this is a couple months ago it made me think about well, why why do I love the classics, and how can I explain to somebody how I love the classics. And I, I think uh, that there's one that probably the, the, the most central reason is probably not the most healthy reason, which is that, you know, I grew up in a kind of a, a Yankee family, uh, kind of not, not the most, uh, like, you know, lovey-dovey, you know, affectionate family, <laughs> you know. That, but I, I know my parents love me, and my brother and my sister love me. We didn't grow up, you know, saying that very much or uh, expressing it very much. But one way that one thing my mother did react to a lot was uh, if we were successful at reading and read uh, difficult books and everything. I think we got a lot of attention when we were younger for it. So I, I you know, as a teenager, I had that mindset where it, it, every classic was a, a challenge. And I, it, I just felt better about myself if I pushed through a book, even if, uh, even if I was tempted to, to think it was boring, uh, if I plugged through it, I got satisfaction out of it. So that's not the healthiest reason. <laughs> I, I have... I should probably speak to a about that instead. But, uh, I have been tempted to attempt James Joyce. I have not read him. That is that is a temptation that has, or Anne Rand. Um, Anne Rand is another one um, that I have been tempted, but I. But James Joyce is one of the very first stream of consciousness writers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I I am just not sure if if I could make it through one of his books. But it's like it's like Mount Everest. If I can, you know, one of these days I will read a James Joyce book. Uh, so you may hear me talk about it on the podcast at some point right. that I started a James Joyce book, and we'll see how this goes. Um, That's a, that, that seems like a tough place to start. <laughs> I, I, I think his books are pretty long. Uh, they are pretty long. Um, maybe I'll start with Anne Rand first. Um, I read, I read Anthem by her back in high school, but I can't remember much about it. And that's a much shorter work. I've Not always like Atlas Shrugged and Fountainhead. I've always wanted to read Atlas Shrugged, and you know, I always see movies um, made from it. And I'm like, and you know, when I've he- heard people say that those movies aren't really reminiscent of her books, and I'm like, I need to read the book. So that's another book that someday soon you may hear me say I started Atlas Shrugged finally. Um, that's one I've been uh, talking about probably since high school. Um, yeah, that, one's, that one's been on my shelf since, since high school, but I haven't gotten around to it. I went through a phase uh, when I uh, started you know, getting some spending money as a teenager 
where I, I was reading, I was a much faster reader back then. I was you know, read maybe two books, three books a week, but I was buying like six books a week. So my, my shelves were, were filling up and my mother uh, uh, forbade me to buy more than two a week. So we would go to the mall and I actually had a jacket uh, that I like cut holes in the interior pockets. So I would, I would buy four and like sneak into the, the bathroom at McDonald's and stuff too in, the, in the, my <laughs> hidden pockets and show her the two that I bought. Oh, so, no, no. Short. That is a bookworm right there. Yeah. Yeah. See, when I was a kid, we went to the library and were told the same thing. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. But, uh, I, I'm a much slower reader now, so I, uh, long story short, I've got you know, probably 200 books on my shelves that I haven't read. Uh, so every once in a while, when I finish one book, I'll go peruse through them, and it's almost like being in my own personal library. And I'll, you know, I'll select something that has uh, been on my shelves for 35 years. But... Um, <laughs> So I do love the classics. Uh, uh, War and Peace, uh, you know, Tolstoy is my. I've always said he's my favorite writer, and that's because when I when I started reading his stuff, I read you know, a lot of like Charles Dickens and other you know, classic. Oh, authors. I tried Charles Dickens. I I tried. I couldn't do it. Uh, well, you tried a, what a Tale of Two Cities. I did. I tried a Tale of Two Cities. Can't couldn't do it. Uh, I'm going to double back around to, okay. to Charles Dickens. Okay. <laughs> but uh, with with Tolstoy, I was uh, I was struck at how his characters were so uh, subtle and deep, and how uh, they didn't act in a cartoonish kind of uh, way. Like uh, with Dickens, you had like the the kid who's the street urchin, and you got the the old you know or, you know. Uh, cleaning lady in the chimney sweep and everybody seems kind of a, more of a, you know, cartoonish. And with him, it was like, uh, his characters would, would, would do something and, uh, and, and react, uh, in a way that seemed very realistic, uh, more so than any other author I'd, I'd read. So that really like compelled me to read everything he did. And I, I love his stuff. And Dostoevsky is similar, but he, uh, you know, deals more with the kind of off off kilter minds. Uh, so, Crime and Punishment by Dostoevsky is another you know, one of my favorites. I think I that read one, that one. What I want to say I read that one when I was like young, but I don't remember much about it. Okay, and to me, that one struck me so much. I read that when I was uh, my early twenties, and I'm you know, fifty one now. Still to this day, every six months or so, I'll wake up in the middle of the night and and think to myself, "Did I kill someone? Did I commit a murder?" Because that's the that's the theme of crime and punishment. You're following this guy uh, as he kind of conceives the idea of uh, of committing a murder, and you follow every detail from carrying it out, and then the the awful guilt that consumes him, and the paranoia as the authorities track him down, uh, and that that feeling was so you know, well described that, uh, you know, it, like I said, you know, every six months I'd pop up in bed. I'm like, and it takes me a while to settle down and be like, okay, I'm a hundred percent certain that I didn't kill anybody. I hope you didn't. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 uh, <laughs> not 99% certain, certain, 100% certain I didn't kill anybody. But so I love Tolstoy and Dostoevsky, uh, Charles Dickens, uh, you know, it, uh, 
even if you don't read one of his books, uh, you should listen to, I don't know if you're into Christmas at all. I love Christmas. Uh, we all know the story of a Christmas carol. And the story itself is, is it's a great story. And everybody knows it. And there's you know, been a million versions uh, through the years. Oh, yeah. But, but the actual language of the story, to me, is even better than the story itself. And you should listen to John Gielgud uh, read the, the, do the audiobook for A Christmas Carol. I listen to it like 20 times every holiday season. And it's just like, it's, it, to me, it's the most beautiful thing uh, in the English language. Okay. Uh, I, I love that to, much. So. And I that have to give that a shot. That would only take uh, an hour and a half of your time. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. But... Yeah, I think I've read it. I think I've read a Christmas Carol. Um, I've seen several of the different um, Christmas Carol movies. Um, probably my favorite version is the uh, made-for-TV version with Susan Lucci, Ebby. Have okay. you ever heard of that? I, no, I haven't seen that. It's um, her name is Elizabeth Scrooge instead of okay. Ellie um, um, Ebenezer, Ebenezer Scrooge. Yeah. yeah. And so it's, it's made for TV, um, and I watched it when I was a kid. It's been around forever, back when Susan Lucci was still, like, super famous and everybody knew who yeah. she was, and she was, like, this big deal. Um, she was a soap opera actress, right? She was. She was, okay. yeah, she was considered the queen of daytime television. She okay. was, she was the thing. And um, I, that particular one just really stuck with me and I okay. have been I've been hunting for it on DVD ever since. Oh really? Yes. It's I mean it was made for TV, so it did not um it's it came not, and went quickly. <laughs> it came and went quickly. Um my supervisor at work I think has a copy on DVD um but I have not been able to grab one yet. So that is actually my favorite um uh, adaptation of okay. that um of that story. And I do think I read a Christmas Carol when I was a kid. Um, it's just not something that's ever really st <laughs> stuck with me. Other the movies do, but the yeah. book never really did. So. Well, you should try at least the, the first few minutes of, uh, John Gielgud, uh, reading it. My uh, house, yeah. My, I have to check that out. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, so yeah. Oh, uh, I mentioned hunger games earlier. Like I said, I don't, I don't, read a lot of like modern fiction but that's uh i mean hunger games was so good i read the whole trilogy uh you know, and I, I i never read books uh uh in a series like back to back I, I feel like i have to break it up if i read the first book of a series and then i'll go read something completely different and yeah. come back and maybe a year later to try to stretch it out that one i couldn't resist i had to like read, oh yeah you know, read Cars the the trilogy the hunger games trilogy i know a lot of people have only seen the movies i really recommend the books because i yes. did the same thing i you know i'm typically the one that i won't start the first book in a series unless i have the next one yeah, <laughs> um yeah. my indie authors have kind of broken me of that habit because they don't release <laughs> books all, so quickly <laughs> yeah they they don't release books as quickly but right. um the, we all have jobs. But yeah, the Hunger Games trilogy, I think I read all three books in maybe like four days. It was yeah, crazy. 
yeah, the movies, I, th- I thought they did a, a good job with the movies. I, I've heard you, I know you don't like the casting. But, uh. <laughs> I, I don't, the casting grew on me in, in the movies. I, you know, at first, PETA was, you know, Josh Hutcherson's character was just a big, fat no for me. I, you know, because he was described in the book as being a little bit portly, you know, because as his parents owned the bakery, they did really well. And, you know, they always had food because they were the bakery. And so he was described as being a little bit overweight. And then come along Josh Hutcherson, who is not (laughs) at all overweight and is in fact a little bit muscular. It, it was just, yeah, Josh, Josh's character was just a, a big fat no for me. Yeah, they're trying to please everybody. Unfortunately, Portly doesn't sell as well. Uh, it it the, doesn't. Love triangle movies. Port, yeah, Portly does not, does not sell unless the character is mean in some way. You know, like Dudley from, from Harry Potter. Right, right, yeah, you know, yeah. He was a, he was a Portly kid. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But he was also kind of a dick. <laughs> so <laughs> I apologize for the language, everybody. But, you know, if you've read the books at all, if you've seen the movies at all, you know what I'm talking about. Um, so, you know, I I just, I didn't, you know, they, they went for marketability yeah. <clears throat> instead of trying to tra- stay true to the story, which really irritates me when it comes to book to TV, book to movie transitions. Um, the, you know, I'm like, just stay true to the story. You know, the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe movies that they did just, no, <laughs> no, go, go watch the original BBC version that they did back in the eighties. And then tell me that the new movies that they did are good. Yeah, anyway. I, 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 I always when I see a movie that uh, deviates so much from the book, I, I always feel like, hey, you could have, you could have like figured this out. <laughs> you could have made it work. Yeah. And when it's uh, author, and when it's author condoned, is what really gets me. You know, Stephen King condones and authorizes everything that they do to change his books. To, to put him on the big screen. Okay. He is there. He is as a, he is working as a consultant on all of his movies, on all of his miniseries. And they, mm, big soapbox subject for me. It just, <laughs> <laughs> I could go on for hours about book was, to movie transitions and how evil they are. And just, my wife was, was traumatized by the movie, uh, uh, Aragon. I don't know if you read that book. I, I read the book, but, but I, she loved that book and uh, almost couldn't make it through, through, through the movie. Uh, it was a, so I, more, no resemblance to the book, apparently. No, no, absolutely no semblance to the book at all whatsoever. I am one of those people, I read the book after I saw the movie. Okay. So while I, while it irritates me that they changed it so much, the book wasn't a favorite of mine before I saw the movie. And so I wasn't traumatized as much as other people were. And yes. yes, I did hear about that. I heard about how awful it was. And I was like, you know, I 
I liked the movie. But I think that my reaction to, in that way is because I didn't read the book first. You know, yeah. I yeah. I tell people, especially with the with the Hunger Games books, um, it, that you know they're like, well, which you know, which should I do first? Should I read the book first or should I watch the movie first? And I what, always what? tell them, well, in, in the Hunger Games, in the case of the Hunger Games, I tell them to watch the movies first. And here's why, because. The, you know, I read the books first, I fell in love with the books, and I had this vision of what Katniss looked like, and I had this vision of what Peter looked like, and I had this vision of what Gail looked like. Gail was not a Hemsworth. <laughs> Just saying, Gail was not a Hemsworth in my head. Um, but, you know, what? you get a vision, when you're reading a book, you get a vision right. of, of how these people are supposed to look based on the descriptions you get in the book. So, you know, I, I tell them, watch the movies first because you can appreciate the movies for what they are. Yeah. They are well-done movies. They are well-done movies. They are, you know, well-acted movies for the most part. Um, <laughs> and then once you've seen the movies, then you can go back and read the books and you can get all of those details from Katniss's first-person experience through all of the things that you just watched in the movie. Yeah, that so, was the, the, the biggest thing I missed in the movies. So it's hard to, it would have been hard or impossible to do, but the, her inner thoughts. Uh, yeah, her her so inner monologue. Look at that. Yeah. Yeah, and um, you know, unless they had done a voiceover. <laughs> <laughs> of, right, of basically uh, her reading the book um, was really the only way that, yeah. that they could do that. And, you know, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, I just, I always tell people, you know, when they ask, I just always say, watch the movies first. Because if you don't, they're going to piss you off. <laughs> yeah, true. Thoroughly. <laughs> Twilight did the same thing to me read the books, then, you know, and I actually had somebody on Twitter uh, this morning ask, you know, the Twilight movies are on Netflix. Should I watch them? I'm like, no, <laughs> no. Cause if you've read the books, the movies are going to piss you off. It's just right. going to happen. That's another that series that, that my wife read and, uh, and she was yeah, pretty disappointed in, in the movies. <laughs> we, yeah, my, my husband and I both enjoyed the books, which my husband is not a reader. He's, he's just not. Um, but he read the books at some point and we will typically watch the movies every once in a while, but we start at like new moon. <laughs> Because the because the first Twilight movie just should not have ever been made. Yeah, some of the special effects and everything when he's uh when he's climbing the tree with her uh, on his oh. back and it's it's uh almost comical. Oh yeah, I mean we and if we watch the first Twilight, it's just it just kind of kills any desire for life that you have. It's just, it's bad, yes, it is, it's horrible, um, so yeah, she, you know, this, this girl on, on Twitter was like, should I watch the movies? I'm like, no, and I really hope that a lot of other people agree with me, um, 
because if you've read the books and you've enjoyed the books, and this is the case for, again, a lot of book-to-TV adaptations, book-to-movie, you're going to have, there's going to be a lot of things that are going to piss you off because they don't portray them the way they should, you know? And I have an example. Um, It's a very small example, but it is one that thoroughly, thoroughly riled me. And that is in the Breaking Dawn movie part one. Okay. Okay. Now, they are on the island, right? And, you know, in the book, they're on the island, and it's the morning after, um, or the week after or something, of their... um, it's either their first night as a married couple or it's the one where she woke up from her dream and they, you know, enjoyed each other's company. Okay. Trying to be euphemistic because, you know, I want kids <laughs> to be able to, you know, listen. Um, and it's the one where he had bit all the pillows and she woke up covered in feathers. The whole room is basically covered in feathers. And in the book... When the cleaning lady comes and she walks out of that room after cleaning that room, she's got a trash bag in her arms full of feathers and she is covered in feathers. That's in the book or the movie? That is the book. The book, okay. In the movie, she walks out of said room with maybe four feathers on her. Hmm. That's, you know... It did not, the visual that you get from the book did not translate to the screen. And that's, you know, yeah, that's. Maybe, it was, uh, maybe whoever was supposed to pick up the feathers for that, that, that scene that they uh, dropped the ball. I don't know. Or the actress was, you know, she was like, I'm allergic to feathers. I can't have a bunch of feathers on me. No, you know, there could be myriad of reasons why she's not covered in feathers. But the fact of the matter is, I saw that scene, and it just, I'm like, no, no, no. (laughs) There's not enough feathers. So, it's, you know, and I get that it's hard sometimes, but, you know, to me, it's, you know, pay attention to those small details. Yeah. Because chances are, those are the ones that people are going to remember and talk about years after they've seen the movie and it pissed them off. <laughs> right, right. <clears throat> what, but, okay. Um, what, I, I have just one quick question and we'll get back to your, your classics. What is your favorite book to movie adaptation? I, the, the one that comes to mind is probably The, the Lord of the Rings, the, the, the at least the first movie, The Fellowship of the Ring. Uh, I thought they, when when I saw that, I, I just thought they had done like an amazing job with it. Uh, it. It was so good that my wife enjoyed it and like got her parents to come see it. And that's like uh, that's kind of like your husband reading books. Uh, she had, to that point had not been like a like sci-fi fantasy you know, movie kind of gal, and, and she's like, wow, this is really good. Um, yeah, that's that would be my my favorite. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, mine is probably. I'm sorry. I was going to say, plus, uh, uh, I've heard you say this before as well. Uh, Tolkien's writing is, you know, a little dry. <laughs> so uh, the movie, 
you know, saves you from, from, from that to, to a degree. Yeah, and I think they did a, a pretty good casting um, mm-hmm. with that. I never read the books, probably won't ever read the books, um, but the if the books are anything like the movie, which they probably aren't, <laughs> I would probably read them. Because I would have that visual of, you know, what Aragon looks like. And not Aragon, Aragorn um, looks like. And uh, Legolas and Frodo and, and Samwise, you know, and all of those characters. Um, so, you know, sometimes just watching the movie first is a good idea. It, I can see it just, that. You know, it just is. My, um, my favorite is um, the... Not the new one, because I'm a purist. Um, the original uh, made-for-TV miniseries of The Stand by Stephen King. The Stand oh, okay, by, okay. by Stephen King. Um, yeah. It's The book is like three inches thick. I read it after I watched the movie um, or the, the TV series. Uh, it was a four-night, four um, I think, miniseries, two hours a night. Um and I remember those. Yeah, four I, nights in a row on ABC or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I have it on DVD, and I watch it every once in a while. Um, and it's very, very, very done, very well done. One of okay. the closest adaptations for Stephen King that I have come across. Um, the only thing that really made me upset was when I went to read the book. Rob Lowe's character in the miniseries, Nick, is super nice guy. Not so much in the book. Okay. And that actually reverse pissed me off. <laughs> because, yeah. you know, because I'm like, why he's... Why did the book follow the movie? Yeah. Why, either why didn't the book follow the movie, or if he was going to write this character as an a-hole which he basically was he was he was just kind of a dick in the book why not do that for the movie you know it's he he made them basically opposite and i think was he, a that major character? he was a major character okay. um he was through the whole um the whole book he was he was in the whole thing and what um what they did was there's one scene where he is on his way to Nebraska to meet Mother Abigail. And he meets a young autistic man in this one town and um, is, tra- you know, and has started traveling with him to go to Nebraska. And they come in this tiny little town and um, Tom... Um, couldn't remember his name for a second. Tom has eaten some bad apples and so has a stomach ache. Nick goes to the drugstore to get him some Pepto-Bismol. And there is one person in this town that has not died from the virus. She has kind of gone a little bit... (laughs) And in the book, she runs across Nick in in the pharmacy seduces him and he gives in and and sleeps with her he doesn't do that in the movie he he um 
brushes off all of her advances and she shoots at them as they leave town. She like gets up in with a rifle in okay. a second story building and she's shooting at them as they, they're leaving town. Um, because his brushing her off made her angry. Um, and so I'm like, that one scene was enough to turn me off the entire book. Okay. And the book is three inches thick. Yeah, yeah, that's a classic Stephen King. And yeah, um, and so it's I I could literally rail for hours about book two movie adaptations. I know I've said this already, um, but maybe it's, Rob Lowe's character. Maybe Rob Lowe's character in the movie was doing nice things, but still thinking dick things. Uh, while he was doing it, maybe it was a, like a, a kind of a, a closet dick. <laughs> <laughs> it's pos it's possible. Who knows? Um, but okay, back to your classics with okay. with one question. Yes. Name one of them that you think made a really good movie. Okay, that's easy. I, uh, uh, I'm kicking myself. Like I said, I'm 51, and it's only like six months ago that I started reading Jane Austen. Uh, I picked up Pride and Prejudice, and I was like uh, two pages in. I was, I was like laughing like six times a paragraph. They, uh, the, the language is tricky. It's you know, real ornate uh, and florid, but uh, it, once you kind of pick, you know, uh, pick apart the sentence and figure out what she's uh, what she's saying. It's like, oh, that's hilarious. And then you know, as, as you read along, you kind of get the, the the language starts to come more naturally to you. But yeah, um, yeah. So I read uh, Pride and Prejudice, and a little couple months later, Persuasion, and I love her her writing. And the, yeah, the the Pride and Prejudice with uh, Kira Knightley. I get Sense and Sensibility and Pride and Prejudice mixed up. Yeah, it's the one with Kira Knightley, and I forget who else is in there. But anyway, that's a that's a great adaptation of uh, of that book, and that one is actually pretty pretty true to the book, I believe. What? I saw the movie before I read the book. We went back and watched the movie. And I'm like, oh, that was a little bit different. That was a little bit different, but overall, it's uh, it stays pretty true. Okay. Yeah. Um, have you read Sense and Sensibility yet? Uh, no, I'm I'm I'm, I'm going to parcel it out to myself. My for Christmas after I got into Pride and Prejudice so hard, my wife got me this beautiful box set of uh, all her novels. Oh, that's so cool. I, so I, I read Persuasion, and I'm going to save Sense and Sensibility for a, a couple years down the road. <laughs> okay. Um. When when you read Sense and Sensibility, watch um, the Kate Winslet Emma Thompson movie. Okay, I've seen a version. Of sense and sensibility. Is that also the one with Alan Rickman? Yes. Okay. Yes. yes, that one's great. Yeah. That's another reason I want to wait to read it so that uh, I can forget the movie a little bit, uh, forget the plot a little bit more. Okay. So it'll be a fresher to me. But yeah, that's a great one too. Um, yeah, I when it comes to the classics, um, I am more likely to watch the movie than I am to read the book. Yeah. Um, mainly because. The, the way that they word sentences just really gets to me. It's 
it's just one of those if I were to listen to the audiobook I would probably fall asleep kind of, kind of I get, situation I, I get that but uh, I, like I said I just get satisfaction from, from, from reading it and also I, I think um, to me uh, it's a way to connect with people from you know 100 years ago 200 years ago uh, and oh, it, I think everybody kind of has things that are bigger than themselves that they they connect to and kind of gives them peace of mind, whether it's gazing out over the ocean or gazing up at the stars. And I'm big on, on, on history. When I contemplate, uh, you know, historical events from thousands of years ago or read a book from 200 years ago, there's something comforting it, uh, about it to me. When, uh, you know, instead of, uh, I don't know, instead of the, the major events that we all know, it's just interesting to read about somebody in 1816 their daily habits and their daily thoughts and the, you know, circumstances of their existence, like in Pride and Prejudice, how, how the, the five daughters were so trapped by their circumstances and everything, and to really read about it and understand, you know, the, the details of it, it, it connects you to them, and I don't know, that to me is comforting. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's always, it's always great to get another perspective. Yeah. Um, it makes for good conversation. Um, okay, we are at 46 minutes okay. out of an hour. So um, what are, out of your list of classics, what what would you recommend somebody start with if they were to start reading the classics? Okay. Uh, it really depends on the person. Uh I would say, you know, the, the, some of the ones that are like most exciting and accessible to me. I love Jules Verne. Uh, I don't know if you grew up reading Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea or Journey to the Center of the Earth. I read Journey to the Center of the Earth. Okay. Um, I think I was in yeah. high school when I read that one. Okay, but to me, those are just like goosebumpy, you know, thrilling uh, adventures that I would, I would you know, recommend to a lot of people. Um, uh, Crime and Punishment, which I mentioned earlier, uh, is, and, and there might have been books like it earlier that just, you know, didn't become as popular, but to me that uh, kind of invented uh, a, a psychological thriller, and it's so different to me to get in the head of the, the, the killer instead of the, you know, the victim, uh, that I, I found that one, you know, real I, I always thought that one would appeal to a lot of people. Um, other classics. What about, um, and I know this is one I read years ago, um, and I'm not sure if it counts as classic or not, um, The Count of Monte Cristo. What do you think of that one? Okay. <clears throat> I read that one, uh, we, we did that one for school, like in eighth grade, and I remember really enjoying it, but I don't remember much about it. But okay. yeah, I, I remember liking it. Okay. Yeah, it's um, the ultimate story of revenge. It's yeah. you know a man gets thirty um, years. Or he yeah he gets accused of murder, gets thrown in prison for thirty years, and when he gets out, he um, reinvents himself as this mysterious count. Gets you know makes money, gets rich, and all of that. And um, when he is able to, he makes friends with the person who actually committed the murder that he was in prison for. <coughs> and so it's 
It's a very revenge, revenge-driven story, kind of like Kill yeah. Bill a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> if you if you want to go yeah. in the in the gory direction, um, <laughs> which I hated. That's my that's my least favorite movie of all all time. I love the Kill Bill movies. Really, um, I, I did. Um, the I, reason I hate them so much is uh, two minutes in, your 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 main character is obviously Uma Thurman. Two minutes in, she like kills the girl's mom, like in front of the girl. I'm like, I don't care what happens. I know she, I know she has suffered too. I don't care what happens to Uma Thurman now. You know, she, I, nobody's in this movie. But it, but in her <laughs> defense, she didn't know the little girl was there. She I didn't know she that did. she I was guess. in the room. She didn't know she okay. was in the room. She, the little girl was supposed to be upstairs. She was not supposed to witness the whole thing. But she knew there was a little girl. She knew there was a little girl. <laughs> um. <laughs> But, you know, but yeah, in her defense, she thought the little girl was upstairs. Uh, which is why she used a knife instead of a gun. Um, oh, and so the noise went down, yeah. Yeah, so, so the noise. But, um, but yeah, I, I enjoyed, uh, most of the time, you know, I, tell, I usually tell people, I like my books smart and my movies dumb. I totally, I totally get that. <laughs> is kind of, you know, that's just kind of how, you know, how I read, you know, I want, I want my books to, I want to feel like the author put something in their books. You know, I, I'm reading to escape. I'm reading to be involved in someone else's life for right. a little while, you know? And so I love the, I love for the language to sound smart. It doesn't have to be super flowery. It doesn't have to be, you know, Lord of the Rings-esque. Um, yeah. But I like for my books to sound or to read in a way that makes me feel like I learned something. Yeah. But, it, but when it comes to my movies... I really just want it does. It's a good time to turn off the brain. I just want to watch things blow up, and I want to watch volcanoes in the middle of Los Angeles, and you know. Yeah, I totally so, my wife again, you know, she's a, a, a teacher, <coughs> yeah, and just got her PhD. She uses her brain, you know, all very hard all week long, and her her favorite uh, her favorite movie of all time is Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> Dude, where's my car? Say, well, turn the brain off. Just yeah. laugh at people being ridiculous. Dude, where's my car? Right here. <laughs> Tell her I get it. <clears throat> um, you know, but yeah, I like... So, um, and I actually haven't used that phrase in, in a while. Um, but, um, you know, any of my listeners, if you're the same way, if you like your book smart and your movie stupid, let me know. <laughs> And, um, I will probably put, um, put a link to this in, um, I had the idea to actually kind of write a short little blog post and okay. send it out to my readers, um, along with this link. So that'll be a good place for listeners to go in and, and make comments about the show and, um, uh, and all of that. So <clears throat> I am sorry. I feel like I have a frog in my throat. <clears> throat> I am so sorry. Okay. We are almost to the end of the show. Um, so I am going to f um, finish up with my two usual questions. You probably know what they are. I know, I know one of them. I'm trying to remember the other one. I hope, <laughs> hope I'm prepared. Let's see. 
The first one is, what would you tell somebody who decided they wanted to be an author? Okay. Oh, yeah. Yes, I do have notes about this. <laughs> you came prepared. I did, because yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I've been on one podcast before, and I, I, I didn't say anything I meant to say. Well, and, and, while, <laughs> and while you're looking for, for that, um, I, I'm going to oh, yeah. let our listeners know I have had Kenyon on my schedule since January. So he has known he's going to be on the podcast for seven months. And he is, he was so excited. He got in touch with me last week. He's like, what time do you want to do this? Let's, you know, he is a, a, he's a huge supporter of the podcast. And um, I think it's just amazing to have him on. So, okay. You're I'm having fun. Uh, What would I say to a writer just starting out? Uh, Number one is do it. Write that book. Uh, It's it's so worthwhile and it's such a feeling of accomplishment. You put all that work in and uh, especially if you follow it through to having it uh, self-published or, you know, know, uh, traditionally published would be even better. But, you know, if you have it self-published to hold that book in your hands and know you did that, uh, there's no feeling like it. Uh, I would say to make sure you are in love with your story, not just like, oh, I have an idea for, you know, for something, uh, you know, a little twist on a vampire novel. I'd make sure you're in love with it because if you're, if you are carrying it all the way through the writing, the editing, uh, and, the, and the publishing process, you're going to be spending, you know, countless hours in that world and you would, uh, so you want to kind of be, bored with it, your, your readers are going to get bored with it. So you kind of want to be obsessed with it a little bit? You want to be obsessed with it because, yeah, you're going to be daydreaming when you're driving down the road in the shower. Uh, I would say also that along the same lines, be able to say why your story is different, even if it's not a lot different. Uh, make, make sure you're not writing, you know, the, the books uh, that you've already read. Um, I would say, oh, Okay. I would say if you can't afford to hire an editor or a proofreader, uh, which I'll point out to your listeners, Pamela's, uh, her rates are really reasonable for, for proofreading and her reviews are great. Uh, but if, you, if you're going to proofread and edit your book on your own, uh, go over it tons of times with a fine-tooth comb. What I did, I printed a bunch of copies uh, at Staples when it was a little cheaper a few years ago. And I printed like 10 copies and got my mother, my sister, my brother, uh, various relatives and friends to read it. And everybody came back with, uh, I caught this little uh, mistake here, this little typo here. Or, uh, you know, my nephew was like, I think this, you made this character do a 360. I think you made it meant to, meant to make him do a 180. I'm like, oh, yeah, you're right. So that uh, kind of took the place of, of, of editing, you know. My go, going over it several times and having family members go over it. Okay. Let's see. And we're at three and a half minutes. Okay. Before. Yeah. Right. So we're your wonderful advice. Everybody take note. Um, and one last question. Um, what would you tell somebody who reviews books like me? Okay. First of all, I would say thank you. Uh, it's uh, I, I consider it like a great service. You guys do. Uh, I just lost your face here. Okay, little pop up. Okay, you're back. Um, okay, I would say uh, uh, thank you because I, I consider it a favor 
to writers. I've heard people say, you know, it's a symbiotic relationship, and it is to a degree, but I don't have a waiting list of reviewers waiting to read my book. I know you have a waiting list of, of uh, writers who are waiting to you waiting for you to, to review their books. <laughs> so it's not it, it's not a 50-50 thing. So I do owe you a big thank you. Um, oh, and I would for my book, I would say I would point out that uh, it is the first book of a of an epic trilogy. So it is kind of paced out as such. There are certain uh, I mean you can read it as a standalone volume. But there is a lot of uh, setup, uh, a lot of getting to know the characters, uh, where if, it, if I wasn't intending to stretch it out into like a 450,000-word uh, trilogy, yeah, I would have uh, backed off that a little bit. Okay. And I think that's it. Okay. Well, we are just about out of time. This has – it did go quickly. It's um, – I'm always surprised at how quickly the hour goes. Wow. Um and it, it, it's been so nice to have you here um, after seven months. It feels almost a little anticlimactic um, having, having looked forward to uh, sitting down and, and chatting with you. Uh, I will definitely have to have you on at some point. Can't guarantee yep. when. Volume 2 should be out later this year, so I'll have something more to talk about. <laughs> Can't guarantee when. Um, again, I, I actually have a waiting list of authors and and people that uh, are wanting to be on the podcast so um unfortunately it probably won't be soon but oh, I, understand. Yeah. I definitely <laughs> i definitely want to have you back on um especially after uh, part two comes out so that we can hear about that and other than that i i loved having you uh thank you so much was, for, yeah, for coming so and visiting fun. with me so yeah thank you okay well I will get this published and I'll tag you on Twitter. All right. Okay. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Bye.